Hello, everyone. This is Steve Smith, WCG Patient Radio. WCG is a company focused on the ethical, safe, and efficient conduct of clinical trials. We are speaking today with Dr. Edith Peterson Mitchell, MD, Mastership of American College of Physicians, and Fellow of the College of Philadelphia Physicians. Dr. Mitchell is the Clinical Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology in the Department of Medical Oncology and the Director of the Center to Eliminate Health Disparities and Associate Director of Diversity Affairs at the Sidney Kimmel Cancer Center at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. Dr. Mitchell is a retired Brigadier General, the first female physician to attain this rank in the history of the United States Air Force. Dr. Mitchell was the 116th President of the National Medical Association, and her research focuses on breast, colorectal, and pancreatic cancers and other GI malignancies involving new drug evaluation and chemotherapy, development of new therapeutic regimens, chemoradiation strategies for combined modality therapy, patient selection criteria, supportive care, and disparities in cancer. She's a principal investigator for an NCI Lead Academic Participating Site grant and received the 2018 Jefferson Health Achievement Award in Medicine. Dr. Mitchell currently serves on the NIH Council of Councils and previously served on the National Cancer Institute's Clinical Trials and Translational Research Advisory Committee and the National Cancer Institute's Blue Ribbon Panel. She's advisor to the President of the United States as a member of the President's Cancer Panel. Thank you for speaking with us today, Dr. Mitchell. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really a privilege, and I'm pleased to be here. Well, we're, we're thrilled to be speaking with you today. Um, there, I'm going to um, tell our listeners about a topic of great interest to us all. Um, many people have seen in the national news that COVID-19 is hitting African-American communities of lower socioeconomic status in our big cities very hard, disproportionately hard compared to the population in general. The BBC article, which I saw first, uh, is the same basic content as people have seen in many newspapers and television broadcasts across the country. Um, The title of the BBC article was, Coronavirus Wreaks Havoc in African-American Communities. Uh, it, It points out that in Chicago, there's a similar situation as we have in other big cities. Black Chicagoans account for half of all coronavirus cases in the city at the time of that article, but they, it accounts for more than 70% of the deaths, despite the fact that only 30% of the population is African-American in Chicago. The mayor of Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, is quoted in the article as saying underlying diseases like diabetes, heart disease, and respiratory illness were really prevalent, she says, in black communities. She indicates she wants to do more to enforce social distancing and there are other underlying problems. Her public health director, Dr. Already, indicates that everyone does not have access to a doctor in those communities and also cites issues like food deserts and lack of walkable streets as contributing to this crisis. So I think I'd like to start with a question for you. How many, because I think a lot of people wonder, why does this situation exist? How did we get to this point and what can be done about it? Is this something that we just have to accept, or is this a situation that can be changed? So, Steve, uh, thank you so much uh, for bringing up this topic. It's certainly one that many of us are concerned about. Uh, Various cities, Milwaukee, um, Michigan, Detroit, uh, New Orleans, 
and Philadelphia. Um, so there are a number of issues. First of all, there are fewer blacks tested. Many of the testing sites are inconvenient and not located in communities where there is um, a high population volume. So lack of testing is one area. Uh, lack of demographics on testing sites. Many of the databases, CDC, Johns Hopkins, and many states have not reported the demographics of the population of individuals tested or have tested positive. Uh, the death rate um, is recorded, of course. So what was first apparent uh, was the increase uh, and the uh, differences in um, patients who, who unfortunately succumbed to uh, COVID-19. Uh, but when you realize that uh, if you look at all of the individuals who died of the disease, uh, there are individuals who are at higher risk. And this, of course, includes the elderly, uh, but also those with hypertension, heart disease, uh, chronic bronchitis, or COPD, or any chronic lung condition, uh, those with cancers, uh, uh, hypertension, uh, and others are at a, a higher risk of dying. And in the African-American community, these diseases all are at a higher uh, risk and a higher level than in a majority community. Consequently, uh, African-Americans have greater risk factors for having uh, poor consequences to COVID-19, and that is uh, those, uh, comorbid those not comorbidities, but uh, having hospitalization, uh, being in the ICU, and death. So, but there uh, so, uh, are a number I'm of other factors. Go ahead. I'm guessing that to combat this, it helps to understand the actual reasons and um, the facts behind these health disparities. Um, there's a historic basis for it, isn't there? And what, what are the actual facts? Why do these comorbidities exist? Uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, African-Americans have more deep-seated inequities, such as lack of paid sick leave, inadequate health insurance, income disparity, and lower rates of uh, being insured, uh, as well as access to medical facilities. So with all of these conditions, many African-Americans are in um, occupations that do not allow them to work from home. Consequently, in the city of Philadelphia, the uh, uh, SEPTA, the bus drivers, uh, the train drivers, all have been exposed, and we actually have a number of um, bus drivers that have died of the disease, and they say that they did not have access to um, preventive strategies such as the PPE, the mask, and other uh, preventive strategies 
that we see on TV and we're telling everybody to use masks if you're going to be near people, uh, but the bus drivers didn't have access to that. So many individuals have occupations that do not allow them to work from home, and consequently, there's greater exposure of uh, the disease or of the virus. So if you have no insurance, no access to testing, no use of preventive strategies, this increases the number of individuals who are at risk of exposure to the disease. Then you have the food deserts where there are no uh, stores or institutions where people can get good, healthy food. Uh, consequently, we all know that nutrition contributes to your overall ability to withstand uh, disease entities and to have better health. So there are many, many um, um, reasons for this. Consequently, we need to address health care for individuals who don't have insurance. We need to look at income disparities and make sure that we're preventing access to care uh, for all individuals. And I think these are many of the contributing factors to the increase in death rates from COVID-19. Uh, there is also uh, individuals who cannot work from home. They're being exposed. So in addition to the bus drivers, we have the cleaning personnel uh, and others exposed, but not given the proper preventive strategy. Uh, also, uh, we've got to look at the healthcare system. There are numerous studies that show that if a black patient and a white patient come into the institution with same and similar uh, symptoms, that the black patient gets inadequate care, worse care, less intensive evaluation of uh, their uh, symptoms when they arrive at an institution. So consequently, Is that, does that have to do with uh, does that have to do primarily with the level of insurance or lack of insurance, or is there some other other reasons? So if individuals come to an emergency room. Uh, there are laws that govern whether they can be seen or not, uh, but uh, there can be bias and longstanding biases that um, may allow for uh, disparities in the care provided for a given entity. Um, there are also uh, issues that occur in communities and in many um, uh, socioeconomic situations where individuals are grouped and are low income, there is a higher density of people in a given area and consequently with lots of people in a small area that has contributed to uh, the promotion and increase in volume of individuals with COVID-19. I There's see. Also, 
there are also cultural differences uh, that have uh, been rampant in many communities and many low-income communities. And in fact, in New Orleans, Chicago, uh, there are, and Philadelphia, I have to say, there is um, information in communities that Blacks could not get the coronavirus and therefore less protection, but there was also uh, less access to masks uh, to individuals or, or staying away from individuals in the six feet um, uh, given recommendations so that many Blacks uh, as well as Latinos have um, participated in church services or other community gatherings uh, when they were not recommended according to the CDC, and um, the CDC, of course, meaning the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, so there has been a lack of adherence to recommended um, preventive strategies. Uh, and that uh, probably has contributed as well. I know that um, some of the um, patient advocates from the African-American community who do a good, a good job working in those um, underserved communities to spread the word uh, as we speak are working to dispel myths to make sure uh, people get the actual facts and can respond accordingly. And I wonder if um, the, you also can um, talk about uh, inclusion in clinical trials. I know you do a lot of research at your uh, institute at the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center in Philadelphia, and questions have been asked to me by advocates from the African American community uh, whether its uh, inclusion is uh, of African Americans is important in clinical trials for COVID-19, and whether it's likely they would be excluded because of all the comorbidities. And I, I wonder if you could speak to that. So clinical trials are very, very important. And in many areas of medicine, uh, there has been a lack of participation in clinical trials, uh, some because of cultural uh, variances, but others seen uh, by the investigators in that there is the assumption that blacks will not participate in clinical trials and therefore they're not asked to participate. Uh, there is also the lack of um, physicians. If you consider the fact that African Americans account for 30, uh, 13% of the United States population, but yet uh, only 4% of um, physicians are Black. Consequently, uh, we don't have the number of individuals so that individuals so that patients can have a physician who has some similarity to them. And consequently, for me, many times uh, patients come to see me and it's a black patient, and they are surprised to see that I am also African American. Uh, consequently, we don't have enough doctors 
And in fact, the number or percentage of African-American physicians has not changed substantially over the last 30 to 40, even 50 years ago. So I think there are so many factors that contribute to the preponderance of uh, disease in African-American communities. And that preponderance of um, multiple diseases uh, has contributed to the higher incidence of death from the coronavirus. So uh, the question a lot of people might have is my question too is are we getting any better as a country at distributing healthcare fairly and um, where can we look for hope? Where is the place, where are some of the places that are most important for advocates and everybody else and the professionals in healthcare to apply their energy? I think a lot um, has, a lot will be accomplished if we can increase access to care and the availability of excellent uh, healthcare for patients. There are data showing that after the Affordable Care Act that there was an increase in uh, access to medical care. And in fact, in the cancer community, uh, there have been studies to show that patients have um, lived longer, have better treatment of cancer uh, if they had access to care through the Affordable Care Act. So ACA has been very important. Of course, there are many political um, discussions about the ACA, but the, you, you've got to go with the data. And the data show that uh, individuals have better access to care and better cancer outcomes. Uh, and that means, of course, better care, living longer, and having a better quality of life. All of those have been demonstrated. So um, we must find some mechanism that individuals will have better access to care. Food deserts. Well, we need to improve well, the nutrition for individuals. Um, consequently, uh, that's an area that is being investigated now. Uh, and we should never assume that African-Americans don't want to participate in clinical trials. They do, but they um, um, must be invited to participate, first of all, and we must have cultural competence in the healthcare, uh, uh, healthcare providers such that individuals feel comfortable with their uh, participation in clinical trials. Well, that 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 is a, a wonderful thing that um, to point out that if if the, um, the there was participation together by all the different stakeholders, including getting into those communities and knowing them and being present and having people from those communities in the medical world, um, there'd be better information. And the you're you're giving us um, uh, some hope that there are things which can, in fact, be addressed. Oh, absolutely. And I overemphasize nutrition. I think nutrition is so important. But in a situation 
where um, a caretaker, uh, head of household, has limited resources to purchase food. And if they can uh, spend three or four dollars on vegetables, let's say, and yet they can get 99 cent hamburgers down the street, um, yes. that that caretaker or head of household has to make a decision. And consequently, the less expensive food, uh, which has more salt and other um, uh, ingredients of lower nutritional value, they have to make a choice. And we know uh, that the usual choice is for the fast food. Um, Consequently, we've got to be able to have individuals have access to good nutrition, good healthcare information, access to um, healthcare institutions. When you look at the large cities, just like Philadelphia, where the hospitals are closing and there's no access to care, they're in the neighborhoods where uh, that care is much needed. Uh, but hospitals, of course, if they are not financially um, positive, um, they close. And consequently, many individuals have no access to care in um, communities where there's a large, uh, lower-income population and this is not only true for African Americans, it is uh, observed in other uh, um, minority communities as well, uh, the Latino yes, community. We, yes, we've heard from some advocates who are um, deeply involved in those communities and are saying some very similar things. Um, yes. Indeed. So I want to um, um, tell um, our, our listeners that um, this is, um, we're, we've been speaking today to Dr. Edith Peterson Mitchell, who's clinical professor of medicine and medical oncology in the Department of Medical Oncology at the Sydney Kimmel Cancer Center uh, in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, Dr. Mitchell, it is a pleasure to speak with somebody who knows so much and has done so much for this very large problem we have in our society, and it can point us towards answers so the hard work that goes on every day can be so focused. Um, thank you for joining us today. I'm sorry we're out of time, but we really appreciate your being with us. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It is my privilege to have uh, been on the program today, and I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been WCG Patient Radio. Thank you for listening, everybody, and thanks to our executive producer, Lauren Osmore, and our technical director, David Fogel. Goodbye, everybody.